Hey guys, this is Pastor Kyle here alongside Pastor Tyler and Bailey. Grateful that you guys have tuned in to our podcast. We trust that what you're about to hear will be beneficial for your day, and we're grateful that you've stopped by to hear what the Lord is doing in Milledgeville. If you want to learn more about us, you can check out our website at tbcmilledgeville.com. Thanks for tuning in. You guys may grab a seat. Grateful to be here in worship with you all this morning. If we haven't officially met, my name is Kyle. Uh, Bailey mentioned this. I'm one of our elders here alongside of Tyler. Um, it's a joy to meet some new faces this morning. Um, saw a couple of you guys earlier this week at FAM for college students. Glad you guys are here to worship with us this morning. Uh, we're continuing in a three-part series, uh, just defining who we are. So if this is your first time to the branch or maybe last time, uh, that you're here was your first time to the branch. This is a DTR, if you will, uh, define the relationship. Here's who we are. If you're looking for a church family, we want you guys to know this is exactly who we are. So uh, last week we talked about being gospel-centered because who we are at the branch is this, and we'll have it for you on the screen here. We're a gospel-centered community living on mission. So if you missed that sermon last week, go back, check us out on podcast, SoundCloud, and get a good sense of what we mean by gospel-centered. Uh, but this week, we're going to talk about what it means to be a gospel-centered community. Uh, so my guess is if I were to take a poll going around this room and to ask what your definition of community is, we're going to get as many different answers as people are in this room. In fact, I actually did this. If you uh, follow me on social media, I posted on my story, uh, give me, when I say the word community, what comes to mind? Uh, and I got all kinds of different answers, some stuff off the wall that I can't share here, talk to me later. Uh, so, some stuff was really, really good, but uh, we got things like a group of people uh, that was really deep and meaningful, as you can tell. Uh, people who are there for you, family. Okay, that one actually has some more depth there. That was pretty good. I'm not going to say that was Abby uh, Miller, but it was. It was pretty good. Um, home away from home. Uh, and then I love Tyler Joyner down here at the bottom. This is his brother, Jay Joyner, who said, a word Tyler Joyner says every other word. Uh, so I left that word part out there. Um, so if you're a part of us at the branch, uh, you're coming in wanting to understand what we mean by saying a gospel-centered community. The best way we can answer this question so far, we'll have here on the screen for you, is a gospel-centered community equals the local church. It's the local church. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be taking a look at the first local church. Acts 2, 42 through 47. We've entitled this sermon, The, Lo the Local Church Defined by Christ. Uh, and I thought I was a little clever because that's a double entendre there because um, we'll have this for you on the screen as well as you're turning to Acts 2, 42 through 47. It's uh, Christ that defines the church. It's through his word and that the church is defined by Christ as he shapes them into his image. Say that again. Christ defines what the church is through his word and that church is defined by Christ as he shapes them into his image. So we typically, uh, as we preach through God's word, we just ask a question of the text, maybe a question that you guys are asking as you're coming in. If you've never been a part of a local church or you're wanting to understand biblically what you should be looking for in a church, maybe you've never been a part of one or maybe you've never been a part of one that is healthy, uh, let's look to scripture and ask this question. What does a biblical local church look like? Pretty simple question. And I think as we read this text this morning, 
we're just going to pull out of Scripture what Scripture says a healthy, biblical, local church looks like. So I'm going to pick up reading for us in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many signs, many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking breads in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Father, it's our prayer this morning as we approach your word that we don't read into it, that we pull out what you would have us pull out. God, we believe your word is our only hope. As we just sang, because of your blood, this is our hope and we sing. So God, as we ask this question this morning, what it looks like to be a church, it's our prayer that you would give us clear lenses, that you would remove our flesh from this, and that we would submit to your word because it is true and it is right and it's holy. And you've given it to us that we can be more and more like your son, Jesus. So Father, I pray that you would give me the words to remove me from any of this and to boldly proclaim your truth. You would encourage hearts in this room this morning and where we need to be challenged, would you challenge us? It's in your name we pray, amen. So giving a little bit of context around this passage here, uh, this is right immediately after Peter's sermon at Pentecost. So uh, right when the Holy Spirit came, Peter preaches this amazing sermon, probably the best sermon that's ever going to be preached because thousands of souls were saved immediately after. So if you were to read in verse 41, we'll have it for you on the screen here. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So if you're in Christ, you can see even the first thing that you should be doing if you're even approaching a local church uh, this morning is to be baptized. Let me start by saying that first. If you're in Christ and yet and you have not yet been baptized, please see Bailey Tyler or myself afterward. We'd love to talk to you why that's the first step in obedience and being a local church partner. But what follows next are the steps that you should really pay attention to of what it means to be a local church because we're going to see a list of qualities that we're going to pull out of the text here of what a local biblical church looks like. So let's just dive into the text. We're going to have a lot that we pull out in the first couple of verses and then it'll bunch up as we go along. So starting in verse 42, and they devoted themselves. So when we see that word devoted, what is something you've devoted yourself to? What is the intensity that comes with devotion that you devote yourselves to? What do you give yourself over to completely? The first century church we're going to see, they gave themselves over and devoted themselves to four things primarily. The first thing we see as we continue reading in verse 42 is the apostles' teaching. 
So we're going to see that in the apostles' teaching that this teaching is the gospel, the good news of Christ, that all of us are sinners, that all of us deserve an eternity in hell apart from Christ, but God, being rich in mercy, poured out his blood on the cross for the sins of his children. This is the gospel that we make our stand in. Again, we talked about this last week, but this is what they devoted themselves to. This is preeminent. This is mentioned first in this list for a reason. So if you're looking for a local church, if you're looking for a preeminent quality to be a part of a local church, it should be gospel-centered, sustained, lived by. Everything they do is for the gospel and by the gospel, and they live it and are devoted to it. That's our heartbeat here at the branch. We want to be devoted to this. So if you were to just take a look back, I wish we had the time this morning, but we just don't. Uh, bookmark it, read later today, Peter's sermon in Pentecost. It is saturated with Christ. It is saturated with the good news of the gospel of who Christ is. It is not a sermon about making you feel good about yourself. It is not a man-centered sermon. In fact, when Peter actually talks about man, it is not about how good man is. It is about how bad man is. Acts 2, 23, when he talks about men in that passage, he says, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. The gospel is about how good Christ is, not how good we are. So that's the first thing we saw that they were devoted to. The second thing that we get to see, a local biblical church, what they should be devoted to is the fellowship. Now there's a Greek word here, koinonia, so let's define what this means. If you were to translate fellowship into the Greek or the Greek into English, that's what you would get. It means signifying, sharing with someone in something. Or you could say partnering in something or with someone. They were devoted together. It was not just someone that came in on a Sunday and they heard a message and they talked to a couple people, but they were devoted to one another have you ever been a part of a local body, a group of people where you are so devoted together that you partner together in something? This is what it looks like to be a part of the local church. Because you see, partnership in the local church is not about man, it's about Christ and partnering together for the advancement of the gospel. The local church is not about you. It is about Christ. We get to continue, we see as we're reading in verse 42, what else they were devoted to. They were devoted to the breaking of the bread. And I love that we get to celebrate this weekly as the Branch Church. So 9.30, we have the Lord's Supper. And Bailey led us this morning in the Lord's Supper. And for this, it was our first week that we provided the option of wine as well as a biblical representation, a reminder. We were taking of juice before, but there was something it's just so sweet about the bitterness that comes with wine because it reminds you of the bitterness of the cost and the price that it cost Christ when he poured out his blood on the cross. The first century church was devoted to this. This is not something they flippantly did. They took time to make sure they were devoted to this and took into account the symbolism of what it meant. They were devoted to this. They were devoted to remembering the gospel. It's Christ-centered. And the final thing we see here in verse 42, they were devoted to the prayers. 
this prayer, when they would come together, was thanking God for the gospel, thanking God for saving them. When they were in this fellowship, in this room, if you were to look around, many of us may not even know each other. We come from different backgrounds. We come from different families. Some of us may have never been raised in the church. This may be your first time stepping into the church. And when we come together in a fellowship, if indeed we're in Christ, there should be a prayer of thanksgiving to God that he has united us because there's nothing else that could unite a group of people around this world from every race, every both gender, every nationality besides the gospel. Their prayers were prayers of thanksgiving. What are the results of this type of devotion? They were devoted to these things. What are the results? I love verse 43. It gives us the answer to that question. Verse 43, and awe came upon every soul. This is an awe at God's transformative power to change broken, sinful people into the image of Christ. If you know your story before Christ, you know how bitter your sin is. If you've been in Christ, you know that the only reason you're becoming a better person according to the standards of Scripture is not because of how good you are, but because of how great Christ is. The transformative power of the gospel brings dead hearts to life. If you are struggling with wanting to be a better person according to the standards of Scripture, you look no further than to the face of the Savior, Jesus Christ, and his work on the cross. And when you behold the glory thereof, you are transformed. You don't do this in of yourself. And when that happens, when you're in a community where you see that happens, you can't help but worship. When you see brothers and sisters that you know that have been caught in sin, and you see them slowly, over time, by the power of the Spirit, putting to death sin. You can't help but worship God because you know it's not how good that person is. That's why I love our DNA groups here, our accountability groups. When you get to walk side by side with a brother and sister in Christ, and you get to see the tears, and you get to see the heartbreak, and you get to hear the confession of sin and their brokenness, and you get to see, praise God, by the power of the Spirit, they conquer and overcome. This is the transformative power of the gospel. This first century church got it, and awe came among all the people, not how good they were, but how good Christ was. Now, love as they continue, the tail end of these verses, of verse 43, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now, depending on where you go, there's a whole different schools of thought when we come to this, but what I would tell you from scripture is that this is not prescriptive. This is descriptive. This is not something the first century church uh, did and as a model for us to be able to do today. The signs and wonders ceased in the apostolic age. And why we believe that comes from Mark 16, 19 through 20. Because these signs were done to show the goodness and the validity of the good news of the gospel that was being spread. Mark 16, 19 through 20, the tail end of the whole gospel of Mark says this. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And verse 20 could be a summary statement of the book of Acts. And they went out and preached everywhere, preached the gospel, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. 
the reason why wonders and signs took place was to confirm this good news of the gospel. We have had it preached for centuries after, and yet those signs and wonders ceased then. So we asked this question at the outset, right? We asked the question, what does a biblical local church look like? Let's get our first point here. A biblical local church is devoted to the gospel. That's what we just saw as we pulled out of the text. This is not me just saying this. If we just go back to those two verses, you see that they are devoted to the gospel. They're devoted to the prayers of thanking God for the gospel. They're devoted to the Lord's Supper, which is a symbol of the gospel. They're devoted to the preaching of the apostles, which is only surrounded and is only they taught the gospel. This is what you should be looking for. And we've kind of gotten a reputation around town as the branch church of being intense. Uh, And I want to be honest right now. What better could you be intense about than the power that brings dead souls to life? This is the good news. This is what a local church should be devoted to. Not programs, not even good-meaning ministries, but the ministry of the gospel. I think when I was reading through this this week, uh, a mental image just came to mind that we must be devoted to the gospel like a faithful spouse is devoted to their spouse. We must be fiercely devoted to the gospel. There's a picture of this in the gospel of the prophet Hosea, and he has a prostitute uh, of a wife named Gomer that the Lord had him marry. And every time she sold herself into adultery, the Lord had Hosea go and buy her back every single time as a representation of us as the bride of Christ, that when we go and sell ourselves into spiritual adultery, we have the better prophet. We have the better prophet in Jesus Christ who buys back his people every single time. This is why we must be devoted as a faithful bride to him and him alone because he is always devoted to his people and sustaining them. This is the savior we serve. We must be outside our minds about this good news of the gospel. We must look foolish to the world as we proclaim this gospel. It is who we are designed to be. Paul would say this in 2 Corinthians 5, 13 through 15. For if we are beside ourselves, he's saying if we're beside ourselves, if we're going out of our mind, if we look crazy, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. If you are in Christ, you must be compelled to go and share this good news. If you're looking for a local church, you must be looking for a local church that is compelled by this good news. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 4, 10 through 16, again, we are fools for the sake of Christ. 
but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. He's talking to the church there of how Paul and Timothy and all of his apostles would pour out their lives so much so that they, the church would be healthy. This is what you should be looking for in gospel leadership in elders and deacons. Verse 11, to present to the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor working with our hands while reviled we bless. When persecuted we endure. When slandered we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then be imitators of me. Be imitators of me, friend. Be imitators of my brother Bailey. Be imitators of my brother Tyler as we seek to follow Christ and outside our mind for the goodness of the gospel. So maybe at this point, you're thinking about these things and you're asking yourself, okay, I get it. I, I want to be a part of this local church, this idea of being devoted to the gospel. Maybe you can ask this question uh, as I asked this question this week. What is the number one killer of this kind of devotion to the local church? I would argue that man-centered teaching that leads to self-centered hearers. Nothing will kill your devotion to Christ and going to advance the gospel more than someone telling you that you are good enough, that scripture is about you, that the gospel is about you being the best version of yourself. That leads you to self-centeredness, not humility and dying to self. Christ is clear that we are to take up our cross and follow him daily. John MacArthur would say this when it comes about to the local church and this fellowship. If you go to church selfishly to seek a blessing, you have missed the point of worship. We go to give glory, not to get blessed. We want to hear good things about us that make us happy. We want to hear, when we come in this room this morning, hopeful things, because this world can be so discouraging. But I'm here to tell you that the local church is not just about your joy. Joy is a byproduct of the local church, not the chief end. The purpose of the local church is to glorify God by the advancing of the gospel. It's a visual representation of God's goodness on this earth as we, broken men and women, come into this room limping because we are lame from the sting of sin, but we know we are held together by Christ. This is the local church. We see that here. So the first thing we see there is that the local church is devoted to the gospel. The second thing you should be looking for in a local church, we see in verse 44, read along with me. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Again, they were together. This is the koinonia. This is the fellowship. This is everyone together and actually enjoying each other's company. They were united by Christ, though. Notice that all who believed, those who believed in who? In Christ. 
those who were granted the gift of belief in Christ were united not only in Christ, but by Christ. So what does a biblical local church look like? Number two, a local church has been united by Christ, not by all inclusivity. We'll unpack that. I can see some squirming in some chairs. I think the best way to maybe at the outset of this to explain this is a wedding invitation. Many of us have been inviting to wedding, invited to weddings, maybe more than we really care to go to, but in a wedding invitation, is there not a specific recipient that the bridegroom sends that wedding to, that wedding invitation to? Is there not specific people they have in mind. You can't just invite whoever you want to this person's wedding. They give you a plus one. By nature, invitations to weddings are not all-inclusive. They're exclusive. They do not include everyone. No one at a wedding would ever walk up to a groom or a bride and say, how dare you not invite so-and-so. You would never walk into a wedding and say, how dare you not invite this person? Much less, how dare we approach the bridegroom, the king of the universe, and say he is wicked for not inviting someone into his community. We would never approach an earthly bridegroom that way, much less a heavenly bridegroom. So you have to ask the question then, what does the local church surround itself in? If it's not all inclusivity, this might be the first time you've ever heard someone in a local church say, not come all ye. Let's, let's unpack this together. So the question we're asking right here is, what does Christ unite the local church around? So if it's not all inclusivity, what is it? First thing we see is the source. It's Christ. It's pretty easy, right? I think all of us in the room would agree that. Easy, slam dunk. Romans 6, 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Again, easy. United in Christ. What else are we united in? The affections. As a local church, we're united in affection of brotherly love. You may already be saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. Brotherly love would be all-inclusive, right? Hang tight with me. Colossians 3.14, again, this would be easy, brotherly love. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. But one thing that I think, as the local church, that we miss, the most important thing that we miss of why we've been united by Christ is not just in Christ, is not just in brotherly love, but it is in our views. It's in our doctrine. Our doctrine is our set of beliefs. What we believe about Christ says everything about us as the local church. Here's some uh-ohs besides just the phone going off. Let's read together. I don't want you guys just to take my word for this. What does scripture have to say about this? That we must be united by our doctrine, our set of belief by Christ. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers 
to equip the saints, that would be believers, for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So he's given those to build up the body. Why? Verse 13, until we all attain, and here's the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Unity in the faith and knowledge. Unity in faith and knowledge. There must be unity in what we believe about God and what we know about God. This is where denominations birth from. Let's keep reading. Verse 14, uh, tell into verse 13. To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and defeatful, deceitful schemes. This is why doctrine is so important, so that way we are not deceived. Rather, speaking the truth in love, speaking the truth in love, There is nothing more loving you can do for a brother and sister in Christ than to tell them the truth. The things they believe about Christ are not from Christ. They are not founded in this word, that their set of beliefs are not biblical. This is not an easy thing to do, but it is a loving thing to do. Why do we do this? Continue in verse 15. So we can grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. If a body is not on the same page, if the body is not united, it does not work. You cut off an arm, the rest of your body is going to suffer. And if your body has something wrong with it, if there is a disease in a part of your body that is unhealthy, the whole body feels it. This is why we must be united. Paul would say the same thing to Titus. In Titus 1, 9 through 11, he must hold firm. This is a qualification of an elder. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. If there is sound doctrine, there is unsound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Rebuke is biblical if the doctrine is incorrect because incorrect doctrine hurts the flock. Verse 10, for there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting the whole families by teaching for shameful gain what ought not to be taught. So I don't know if you've ever been a part of a local body that upholds doctrine highly. You may be asking yourself the question, isn't it just about Jesus and his work on the cross? Yes, amen. So you may be asking yourself the question, why is doctrinal unity so important? Our doctrine, our set of beliefs, determines eternal destinations. If you believe something as deeply and as passionately as you want, but it is not true, does it matter? No. Therefore, we must be united in our beliefs as a local church because it's eternal destination. Romans 1.16 lists this for us. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, 
to the Jew first and also to the Greek, to everyone who believes, to everyone who believes what? There must be a set of belief. It's not just belief in Christ. The demons believe Christ exists and they shudder, but they are no more children of God than anyone who wants to believe whatever they want to believe about God. We must be united in our belief. Let's bring this into real life. You're sitting across a table from someone and they say something that you just know is not true. How many of you guys have ever been there? You can feel your heart start to beat. You want to love them well. How do you do this well? And I'll just read this sentence out as I thought to myself and I had to just write it out to say what I think we all must believe. Affirming that someone is indeed in Christ, part of the fellowship of believers, when they are not, is not loving. You may want to be united with them, but it is not loving. It is one of the most evil things you could ever do telling a damned person they have safety. If you do not have the courage to tell them the truth in love, you are loving your own comfort more than the soul sitting in front of you. And I have felt that pain this week, as I know many of you have probably felt that pain as well. You see that this inclusivity is determined by Christ. It's those that he has saved that determines his bride and you may want it for him like I want everyone to come to know Christ that I'm going to share with him. But we're not just all inclusive. Can we talk about this real honest talk right now? I don't know about you guys. Are you guys tired of the narrative in the world today that just because you disagree with someone you hate them, that we no longer have the ability to have thoughtful discourse where we can agree to disagree, but we're gonna work through that in a respectable, amicable, amicable way. Because <laughs> you see that unity is a byproduct of the local church, not the chief end. The purpose of the local church is to glorify God by advancing the gospel. Christianity is not primarily about being united despite our differences. It's about being united by what Christ did for us. That is what unites a local church. You know what? Celebrating unity and diversity is a great thing. Unity and diversity of cultures and uh, ethnic backgrounds, of loving on all people is a good thing, but it is not the primary thing of the local church. We can't celebrate differences in doctrine because destinations are at stake. We must be united. It's why FAM is built around Philippians 2.2 of having full accord of one mind, of one spirit, as an evangelistic ministry, going to share the gospel of those who are not yet part of the body. We want them to be a part of the body but we cannot affirm them as part of the body if Christ has not united them to the body first. This is why we go, because they are not included now. This is what your motivation for living on mission is. If you are in Christ, you have people that are not safe. 
from the wrath that is to come, you must share with them these beliefs that Christ and Christ alone is the only safety they have. You see that Jesus himself even talks about this in Matthew 10, 34 through 35. Write down that reference. Go home and chew on it if you're having a tough time with this section here. Matthew 10, 34 through 35. He said, I did not come to bring peace, but the sword. I did not come to unite, but I came to set mother against daughter and father against son. What he's meaning there is that the gospel will divide by nature. Everyone in this room is either in Christ, resting in the good news of his gospel, or not. Everyone outside of these walls, every soul you sit across from, that is the truth. And we must keep this in mind. Like I said, these first two points where we'd spend the majority of the time, but let's get back into Acts and we're gonna see these last couple points bunch up here for us. So remember, we're asking the question, what does a biblical local church look like? So pick up with me in verse 45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. You see that the unity here in the body led to joyfully and sacrificially giving, knowing that Christ would supply. If Christ has already supplied for their salvation, how much more is he going to supply for their material, temporal needs? This fellowship looks like tangibly here, brother and sister has a car go out. This missional community will rally around them and to raise money. If you're a part of this fellowship and your loved ones are sick, you don't have parents that can help you pay your bills. That's what the fellowship here of the Branch Church is for, to invite you in, to sacrificially give because we know that Christ is going to supply. I've seen this time and time and time and time and time again in this year here of people that are sitting next to you that have been struggling and that people who are sitting next to you take money out of their own wallet, out of their own bank account or their own materials if someone needs something and just give. Give of time, give of talents, give of resources. So the question we ask is what does a biblical local church look like? third thing that we'll see here is that the church extends the mercy as received from Christ. It's what we just talked about. Christ has showed us mercy, even though we don't deserve it. The most beautiful part of a Christian fellowship is not loving on someone when they deserve it, but when they don't. And that is the true test of a biblical community. When there's people in this fellowship that don't deserve it, none of us do. But we show that mercy. So I want to talk about something here too as well for a local church. Maybe you've heard a lot of churches talk a lot recently about social justice. We have this quote for you here on the screen. Um, social justice and philanthropy are byproducts of the local church, not the chief end. The purpose of the local church is to glorify God by advancing the gospel. I don't know if you've caught that. We've said that three times now. The purpose of the local church is to glorify God by the advancing of the gospel. God has indeed called us to love on people. He's indeed caused us to defend the cause of the widow and orphan. God has indeed called you in this room to seek justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God, but not at the expense of the gospel. 
when you go and you live on mission and you go maybe in an age in place project that we have, when we go and we go build ramps or we maybe partner with another church that does a food pantry or you go to a camp or whatever you do to love on people, the philanthropy and the social justice that the church is called to do always takes a backseat to the advancement of the gospel. The mission is not the project of soup kitchens or clothes for people who need clothes. The mission is people. And you are not loving someone well if you're going just to love for temporal needs and you rob them of eternal need of the good news of the gospel of Christ. You are loving them well for an eternity in hell. And it should break our hearts. This does not excuse us, however, from seeking justice and seeking to love on those who are disenfranchised. I love the prophet Isaiah uh, encapsulates this balance really well in Isaiah 1, 16 through 18. Notice that verse 16 is the gospel, verse 17 is the justice, and verse 18 is again the gospel. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil from your deeds before my eyes cease to do evil. Not that we could ever do that. That was the command from God, that's why Christ had to come, because we could not wash ourselves. There is the gospel. He goes on to say, learn to do good. This is where we get to see the justice Social justice, come in, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. But why can we even do this in the first place? Verse 18, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. It is call to social justice that's sandwiched between the good news of the gospel, that we are broken and we needed to wash ourselves and we could not, yet we, as we go in our life here daily, we seek justice because we know verse 18 is true, that although our sins are like scarlet Christ, if you have trusted in his sacrifice, atoning work to justify you for all eternity has made your red sins, the darkest, deepest sins, the sins that are coming to your mind now, the ones that you are hiding from loved ones and friends and from this fellowship, he, if you have trusted in him, has made them white as snow. You know why that's good news? Because now you are freed up to go and be the church who does advance justice and advance the gospel. But these verses, as we talk about the, the giving of goods and the, the sacrifice that the first century church did. In a nutshell, what this is, this is very, very prescriptive for us. This is gospel stewardship. So in this room, do you view what possessions, if you're a college student, what very little possessions you may have as your own, or do you view them as gods that he has given to you to advance the gospel? It's your talents, your personality, what little bit of money you have. Maybe you have a car and someone doesn't. Maybe it's just your voice, your understanding of the gospel. If you're a family, it's, it is maybe some uh, disposable income. Maybe it's a talent like we've had uh, people love on us well here by helping serve and 
building a really cool bar top that I wouldn't be able to build. (laughs) This is what it looks like to view everything you have as God's first. This is what the local church is called to do. The end goal, however, always is the advancement of the gospel. We continue in verse 46. We see another biblical quality of a local church. Verse 46, and day by day. How often is that? It's not a hypothetical question. How often is day by day? Every day. Okay, I just want to make sure we're on the same page before we get into this. The local church is not just to attend on a Sunday service and check a box and be fed. Ouch. I needed to hear that multiple times in my life. The local church is day by day. So what does this include? What does this day by day for the local church include? Uh, Yes, it includes somewhat what we're doing right now. Verse 46, attending the temple together. This was daily worship together, pushing one another towards holiness and God. What we're doing here is listening to God's word being proclaimed in order to be shaped and become more like Christ and specifically in our talk this morning, what it means to be collectively shaped into the image of Christ. The first century church did this day by day. I've been preaching for 43 minutes and I've seen plenty of yawns already. I get it. It's early, it's tough. The first century church loved the fellowship and the teaching so much they did it day by day. And it's not always uh, just me or someone up strapped on the microphone. This is a monologue. This is not a dialogue. It's why it can feel like you're sitting back and being fed. But the local church is daily. So why if you see even the word church in the Greek in the New Testament used over 155 times, the Greek word is ekklesia. It means the people, never a building. You do not go to church if you are in Christ. You are the church. If you've been here for more than a minute, you've heard me say that a thousand times. It's still true. You are the church. If you've never heard that, this is why we do this daily. What else do we do daily? Let's keep reading. Verse 46, And breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Beginning of verse 47, praising God. The breaking bread here is not the Lord's Supper like we saw earlier. This is breaking bread. This is having meals with one another. This is actually enjoying fellowship and company. This is what you see after fam, everybody took over cookout. This is what you see after here on Sundays when we take over restaurants. This is what you see all throughout this week in missional communities when people invite people over to their house for dinner. It's fellowship. It's genuine. It's wanted. It's needed. It's what the local church is designed for. You see that all of this leads to genuine praising of God for his provision, for his provision of brothers and sisters you actually enjoy being around, brothers and sisters that you can submit to that help you become more like Christ. So what we get to see here is what does a biblical church look like? The church gladly and daily praises Christ together. Because the whole point of gathering here is not for you to be fed, like we already said. It's not about us seeking a blessing. It's for us. We call everything that happens here on a Sunday morning worship. Romans 12.2 would go to say that your entire life is an act of worship. Everything you do is worship of God. Maybe a mental image that will help you is this is 
long dinner table conversations full of tears and full of laughter, not just Bible studies. It's not the local church. Because you see, relationships are a byproduct of the local church, not the chief end. As much as you enjoy these relationships, as much as you enjoy a concert being rained out in someone's backyard so you can have an impromptu concert in someone's kitchen and someone is sitting in the sink and you've (laughs) built such great relationships together, even that pales in comparison because those relationships are a shadow of Christ. That one day you will have the fullness of the best relationship you ever need and your relationship with Christ now should urge your appetite to have more and more and more relation with him. Because again, the purpose of the local church is to glorify God by advancing the gospel. Those relationships you've been given are not for you. They're for the advancement of God's gospel and for those outside this four walls that don't know him. Yeah, the the deep, meaningful relationships you build in local church is God's grace to help and grow you to be more and more and more like Christ. So you should be looking for genuine, authentic conversations, not just, hey, how are you doing good? How are you? The local church is by asking pressing questions. When someone gives you a surface-level answer, you don't accept it. When you ask how someone's doing and they say, good, but you can see the bags under their eyes, you can see them as they their body language is just full of sighs. You don't accept it. It's not loving. You press because you then apply the gospel and say, you may be disheartened now, but Christ has died in your stead. And I'm struggling to, let's share this burden together. So a real biblical local church looks like. Because you see that Christ is the bridegroom. We're his bride. A good groom, if you're married in this room, you know it, You nurture your wife when she is not doing well. That relationship is not just for your own benefit. Men, when you seek to marry a woman one day, you're not seeking someone who just looks good. You're not seeking for yourself. You are seeking to add value to her life by raising her up into a beautiful picture of the bride of Christ. That relationship is not about you. It's about Christ. Women don't settle for less. The Bible says so and so do I. (laughs) And by the way, you can't get these types of relationships if you're not fully committed. This type of relationship we're talking about right now, if you're half in, half out, I can tell you right now, I'm half in, half out with my bride, I would be fully out. She'd kick me out. Probably not because she's so grace-filled. So what does this mean for you? There's many of you in this room that date the bride of Christ. How many of you are married to the bride of Christ? Yeah. And I'm here to tell you as well, while we have a ministry that we love, anything besides the bride of Christ is a synthetic bride. Don't be entertained with cheap imitations. They will never satisfy like a local church can. If you're not committed to a local church, Hebrews 10 will call you to the table. If you believe scripture is sufficient and inerrant, it says to submit to your leaders. And if uh, those same leaders have to give an account for your soul one day, I don't have to give an account for the soul of those that are not in my flock. It is a mutual relationship 
you submit to a group of local elders who then have to give an account for your soul. This is biblical truth. may not be easy to hear, but it is true. The final thing that we receive a quality of a local church here is found in our last verse as we continue. The praising God was the beginning part. And having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those being saved. The church is Christ's bride, as we said, and he adds to their number as he sees fit. This is prescriptive, not descriptive. The Lord adds to the number, not us. He will bring into his bride those he wants to bring in. So why it's good news for us here. A biblical local church then, we see in the fifth answer here, the church grows as Christ saves the church and sends it on mission. As a local church grows, it grows because Christ saves and sends out on mission. You see there's a cycle that happens. You come in, you're fed with the word of God, you have community day by day, you're being transformed in the image of God, and what happens? How did the first century church have favor with all people? Because they went to all people. They did not stay and think that this fellowship was about them. They knew it was not because they once were lost and someone told them, if you're in Christ this morning, someone once told you about the good news of Christ. Someone invited you here this morning. Someone was bold enough to share the good news of Christ with you. But it wasn't them that saved you, right? It was Christ if you're in Christ. Maybe the mental image that we should have of the local church here is that of a manufacturing line, that Christ makes disciples. He makes them. He saves. He adds to his church. But the manufacturing line, when it makes something, is not for the purpose of it just going down the conveyor belt and falling off the end and staying in the warehouse. A manufacturing line is built with a purpose. The church is built with a purpose to be manufactured into the image of Christ and to be sent out. You are sent ones. You are ambassadors for Christ, given the ministry of reconciliation. Everyone in this room, if you're in Christ, is a minister of the gospel. It's scriptural. We're called to go. But this whole last section here is our sermon for next week as we're a gospel-centered community living on mission. So I figured I'd give you a little bit of a teaser of what's to come for next week. So the final thing in this section before we really wrap up here just want us to know that a local church is not about being comfortable and being fed. Those are byproducts of the local church, not the chief end. Again, the purpose of the local church is to glorify God by advancing the gospel. So I've got a couple questions here for you. Um, if you guys just want to take pictures of the screen or if you want the, the questions from me afterward, uh, I'll give them to you. But I just want to ask a couple questions of us this morning. The question you should be asking yourself at this point is, am I a gospel-centered partner of this church? Am I? We can see that it's biblical that we are called to be a part of a gospel-centered community. It's what the first century church did. This whole text we just read was immediately following them being saved by the preaching of Peter. They were immediately baptized, and they didn't toy around with dating the church. They were the church immediately. 
So ask yourself these questions this week, and it'll be a great litmus for you to see if you're really a part of what Scripture calls you to be a part of. First question here is, am I devoted to Christ-centered fellowship with this church, or am I centered only on my own joy? When you come in, are you looking to be a part of fellowship, to add value to brothers and sisters, to advance the gospel, or just looking for your own joy? Second question, am I united to this church by Christ, not just all inclusivity? Are you actually united? At this point, the only way you can be united to this is if you trusted in Christ, that he died in your place. Have you trusted? If not, repent and believe and be baptized. If you have any doubt whatsoever, don't wait. Don't hesitate. Talk to Bailey, Tyler, or myself. We love, love, love to share with you and to have you included in this fellowship. The third question, am I extending the grace of Christ or just good works? This is that social justice philanthropy we talked about. Are you going and sharing Christ? In this fellowship, are you extending grace? Are you extending mercy? Do you think that all it means to be a believer is to do good things? Or even if you are in Christ, if you think your good things are earning you God's favor for your shortcomings. He's already given you that favor. Number four, am I submitting to Christ and other believers or just content in shallow, transient friendships? And it's one we could all sit on and think. I'm part of a local church, we're called to be submitting to Christ and other believers. And the final question, am I partnering in the mission of Christ with the bride of Christ or am I just a bystander? You come and go. Are you committed? The good news of all of this, of a local church, of this is who we seek to be as the branch church. Everything we just went through the list, we seek to be with our whole heart. If you believe what we just went through is true and biblical, and you see that in us. We would love nothing more than for you to attend. A, we have a prospective partnership class today, two to four. If you're interested in who we are, what we believe, what we do, this sounds like a place you want to call home. Please come. We'll be back here, and I'd love to answer any questions you have about this fellowship because you are called to be a part of the local church for God's glory and your own good. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this fellowship. Thank you that we can come in and hear your word and be challenged by it. Father, all of these truths are not easy truths, but they're necessary. God, there's a joy of being a part of this fellowship. And I pray that for anyone that is considering that they would come and ask questions to take part in your plan since the foundation of the world to see your gospel advanced, to come into a fellowship of people that believe you are the only thing holding us together. So God, may we worship you because you have knit us together into a household in which you are the cornerstone. 
Lord, we worship you because it's only by your blood that we've been united. It's the thing that holds us together, your sacrifice on the cross. So Father, we love you. I thank you for first loving us. It's your name we pray. Amen.